0: Well, it's good to be with you again, and uh, wonderful to be here. Uh, I've enjoyed being here this week in Hollister, mm-hmm. being back a lot of memories and doing a lot of. I uh, have well, we a lot of driving around. We drove a little bit around, try to uh, reacquaint ourselves a little bit with the town, and uh, so it's it's been a joy to fellowship with uh, a number of you throughout this week. Uh, just so you know, uh, one of the things that I I I do as the uh, director of International Baptist Missions is spend time like this in churches oftentimes preaching uh, missions conferences or miss, mission Sundays um, and we've started to do a lot of a lot of uh, our, our time has been spent trying to help churches that are in pastoral transitions so uh I've I've been in at least three churches now that are in between pastors and trying to help them and finding finding pastors. So we've done a little bit of that and um I still on my schedule I've you know I'll be traveling overseas uh, a little bit in the spring visiting several of our missionaries that are over there. But uh, I'm glad that we can have this time together. During the week I'm still communicating with our missionaries. I teach International Baptist College and Seminary. So um it, it, it's, it's. I won't say it's easy, but it's been. Uh, it's not a. It, it's we are able to do this to be able to, to travel and be able to help uh, churches uh, on uh, during the week and, and, and especially situations like yours where you're looking for a pastor. When I, when Pastor Snow told me he was leaving, I offered the, to be able to help. I, one of the advantages I can I can set my own schedule, so um, I was able to set my schedule and, and plan for this time. To to be with you. We are going to be this morning in the book of Romans, chapter 8. Now, I don't know how many of you were here, when was it, two months ago when I spoke by Zoom? Um, That seemed kind of a weird thing with the speaker looking down at you. Uh, But um, I began a series of messages, and I'm actually going to preach throughout this month. I'm going to continue that series uh, in Romans chapter 8. And I'll I'll explain to you why. When you go through the book of Romans, you find that the book of Romans is, is of course, one of the great doctrinal books, the theological textbook, if you will, of the New Testament. The great doctrines of the faith are discussed. Our our sin nature, uh, the need for salvation, uh, justification by faith, our access to God through faith, our, our justification, our sanctification, our being made holy and being made righteous in the sight of God. And you come then after those six chapters and he deals also with sin and how do we deal with sin, yielding ourselves to God versus yielding ourselves to sin. And he comes to chapter 7 and he discusses what well, seems to be a very personal uh, change of tone when he talks about the struggle that, that he had with sin, when I would do good, evil is present with me. And uh, I do the things I don't want to do, I, 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 I don't do the things I need to do. And there are, is the battle that we all relate to. If you've lived the Christian life much at all, you know that oftentimes we struggle in this flesh. We struggle with sin, we struggle with our old sin nature. But then he comes to chapter 8. And it's like he sums all of everything he has said to this point up. And he brings it sort of to a crescendo in in listing for us, very logically, all the benefits that we have in Christ. And really, there are many ways to look at this. I, I think it is a tremendous outline of just some of the basic foundational truths that we have in Christ. But it is also a reminder that in Christ... Those of us who have trusted Christ as our Savior, we live under the, uh, under the pleasing eye of God, the favorable eye of God. God looks at us and God is, is pleased with us, because, not because of us, but because of our relationship with Jesus Christ and what God has done for us through the person of Jesus Christ. And it also then leads to a number of things that we as believers should be thankful for. I think that's a pretty good theme to deal with in November as we celebrate at the end of the month Thanksgiving. So we're looking at what we as believers have to be thankful for. Now there are obviously many things we could we could alliterate but as a as a child of God what God has done for us living under the 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 favorable eye of God the pleasing eye of God God's eye of God's favor upon us what do we as a child of God have to be thankful for and there are a number of things in this chapter that he points out very logically that we have to be thankful for. the first is what we dealt with several a couple months ago uh, when I preached to you on zoom in the first eight verses the truth that there is no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus the fact, the word condemnation deals with the righteous legal judgment. There is no judgment for sin in the life of a believer. We have been declared righteous. We are positionally righteous in Christ. Now, it doesn't mean that we can sin and do what we want. Paul deals with that earlier in the book. And he says, shall we sin that God's grace may, you know, may be demonstrated? He says, God forbid, may it never be. That, that's, not, no, that's, that's not the point. It doesn't mean, that sin, doesn't mean that we as believers don't sin and do not need to confess our sin to the Lord, but judicially we stand righteous before a holy God. If you know Christ as your Savior, if you have put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, there is no sin that you can commit that would take his justice, take his righteousness from you. You are saved. You have been declared righteous before a holy God. And the truth is that, that, that we cannot lose that salvation. There is no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. He goes on to add in those verses that we have been set free according to the spirit of life in Jesus Christ. That spirit of life in Jesus Christ has set us free from the law of sin and death. We are no longer under the law of sin and death. We have been set free by the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Now, that being true, going back to chapter 7, Paul is still referencing the fact that we struggle with this issue of sin. And that's why he says at the the end of that section in verse 8, Well, actually starting in verse 7, he says, The carnal mind is enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Okay? There's no condemnation, but if we are walking in the flesh, we cannot please God. But then he says in verse 9, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, because you are a child of God. And beginning in verses 9 through 17, he talks about the wonderful ministry of the Holy Spirit that has been given to us as a child of God and what that means for us. That's what we're going to look at this morning. But, put, but just so you can see where we're going, he goes to that subject, he talks about all this, what we have in Christ Jesus. We'll see at the end, at the end of the message, because we are in Christ, we are, we are children of God, we are heirs, joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, we may also be glorified together. Even though we are saved without condemnation, free from condemnation, we have the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our life in this world, we still go through a life and and deal with the consequences of sin, which leads to suffering. So beginning in verse 19, or excuse me, verse 18, uh, through verse 25, he talks about our eternal hope. That even though we live in this world of suffering, and problems, and trials, and and groanings, we have an eternal hope. And then he concludes the chapter by talking, beginning at verse 26 to the end of the chapter, about his eternal plan. That's going to bring it all together. So, what do we have to be thankful for? We We have the fact that we are not under condemnation. If you know Christ as your Savior, the guilt, and the burden, and the weight of sin is removed. I, I said when I preached this message, the reason that is important is because there are a lot of people, Christians, who go through the Christian life dealing with one or two extremes. Either they are, are very sad and very gloomy because they just constantly feel the weight of their sin, they don't feel righteous before God, they don't understand that their sin has been removed, and so they're constantly living under this weight and burden of sin, or they go to the other extreme and think, I have to earn that, I have to I have to somehow please God by my works and, and, and even though they know they're saved by grace, they, they still go through the Christian life thinking that I have to live this life of just duty and obedience uh, to, to earn my, earn God's favor. And the fact is we have been set free. There's no condemnation. So it's important for us to understand each of these particular truths and blessings that God's given to us so that we might enjoy the salvation that god has given to us so as we saw in verses 1 through 8 of this chapter there is no condemnation to those that are in christ jesus now we come to verse 9 we find that paul now begins to expound on the doctrine of the holy spirit who really has not been dealt with much in the book of romans at all to this point the holy spirit has been referenced a, a few times Chapter 1, verse 3, he declare, it says that he, was declared, uh, he declared Jesus to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. In chapter 5, verse 3, he mentions how that the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And we are told that we should serve him in newness of the spirit and not in oldness of the letter in chapter 7. But now here Paul begins to elaborate on the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So we want to look this morning to see what is the ministry of the Holy Spirit to the child of God. I'd like to read these verses beginning at verse 9, and we'll read through verse uh, 17, and then we'll come back and we'll walk through and see what the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to the child of God. Beginning at verse 9, he says, But you are not in the flesh. But in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, But you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So just what is the ministry of the Holy Spirit to the child of God? You see here, he is referenced, the Spirit of God is referenced as the Spirit of God. He is referenced as uh, the Spirit of Christ. He has talked about the Spirit of him who raised up Jesus from the dead. But what then is his Spirit particularly to us? His ministry is, first of all, in making us a new creation. In verses 9 through 11, He talks about how that you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is none none of his. If Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit of life because of righteousness. The work of the Spirit of God in the life of a child of God is to make him or her a new creation. John 3, 6 talks about how that which is born of the flesh is what? Flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Sinful flesh can only reproduce sinful flesh. But the spirit of God produces spiritual life. We all know the verse in, in uh, 2 Corinthians, or Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, where he says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a, what? a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We we have been made a new creature uh, by the Lord. We're not just renovated when when you are saved. You are made a a new creature. And he he, he points out here how the spirit of God dwells in you. And if you do not have the spirit of Christ, you're not his. If you're saved, the Holy Spirit has come to live within you, to make your body his temple. He indwells us. The indwelling of the Spirit of God is one of the greatest blessings we receive as a child of God when we are saved. And because Christ is now in us, he says here that the the body is dead because of sin, But the spirit is life because of righteousness. In other words, our spirit is life because of God's imputed righteousness. Uh, The transformation in our lives is the work of the Holy Spirit in our life to breathe life into our old sinful flesh. We We have died with Christ, but we have been raised to live in righteousness. And his spirit lives within us, and that is the work of the spirit of God. Sometimes people will ask a Christian, what is it that is so different about you? Why is, what is it that's so different about a Christian? You know, I, I have the privilege oftentimes to travel overseas and, and visit Christians in many parts of the world who don't speak my language. Their culture is different. Uh, they don't know me. I do not know them other than I know that maybe they're a part of a certain church. And I can walk into a, a church, into a different culture in a different language and already and automatically, instantly, there is a bond that I have with these people. What is that? It is the work of the Spirit of God, who has made a new creature of them, who, who indwells them, and therefore the Spirit of God who is in me is able to commune and, and connect with the Spirit of Christ who is in them. And it should not be a strange thing, but it, it, it always amazes me as I, as I do and I travel the world to do, and, and, and go into a church where there are people that I've never met before and instantly we, we just have this bond. And it's because of the spirit of Christ who is in us. This change is because of the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead, he says. He dwells in us. He gives life to our mortal bodies. Much in the way that he raised Christ from the dead. We talk about his resurrection power. It's a power that has raised you who were dead in trespasses and sins and made you alive together in Christ Jesus and raised us up together to sit in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That is the work of the Holy Spirit to make us new creatures in Christ. But there's a second ministry that the Spirit has and that is he, uh, he makes, he gives us, he, he, his ministry to us is to give us victory over sin and temptation. Notice verses 12 through verse 13. It says, therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh, or according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. You are not under obligation, he says, to the flesh. The old sinful flesh that we lived under before we were saved. The sinful flesh is a very harsh taskmaster. He does not want you to, he does not want to give you up as one of his slaves. But you and I are not in the flesh, so we do not have to live by the rules of the flesh. If you live according to the flesh, he says, you'll die. Now he's not saying that a Christian can lose his salvation, but the one whose life is characterized by the things of the flesh is not a true believer and is spiritually dead. And and if he does not come to faith in Christ, he will die under the, under God's final judgment. Scottish theologian David Brown said that if you don't kill sin, sin will kill you. Uh, We we live not under the flesh, but we, we live by the Spirit of God. And he goes on to talk about how that if the Spirit then has put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You know, Jesus taught us in Matthew... Uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, that if your right eye offends you or makes you to stumble, uh, tear it out, pluck it out, it's better for you to go into heaven with one eye for the whole body than for the whole body to be to be thrown into hell. Uh, one, one writer called this the doctrine of uh, radical amputation uh, to deal with your sin. Uh, maybe that's a good, good description of it. But it talks about how that that, that we, 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 just because we're saved and just because the Spirit of God is in us does not mean that our victory over sin is just totally passive. That we just sit back and say, okay, I'm saved. Now the Spirit of God who's in me is going to do that work. No, the Spirit of God lives in us. The Spirit of God indwells us, but we need to yield ourselves to God and we need to take sin and issues in our life very, very seriously. We all know the verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. that tells us, Therefore let him who thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Because no temptation has, has taken you or overtaken you except that which is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able, but with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. God has made a way of escape from temptation and sin for the believer. And he's made that available to you. But what is that? It's not just sitting back and just saying, okay, I'm going to let go of that God. It it is a definite path that God has given us to escape temptation. And that path is usually before we are faced with the temptation. You know, a lot of Christians like to go up and cuddle up next to temptation and see how, how well the Spirit of God can protect them. You know here's a temptation i know i know i've i've fallen this area so much but i'm going to play with it i'm going to i'm going to deal with it as much as i can i'm going to get as close as i can over to the edge but so i don't i don't fall every every year you hear incredible stories of people at the grand canyon who fall to their death and i don't know that i've ever really ever even been there and we go have gone a number of times living in arizona i don't know that i've ever been there where somewhere during the day, I do not see someone in an absolute ridiculous place standing on the very edge of a rock to get, the, get their selfie, you know, or, or to someone else to take a picture of them. And, you know, I'm going to get as close to the edge as I can. That's not a way to, to live a successful, holy, righteous life. Let me suggest some ways the scripture talks about that we can use to help us avoid temptation. Some of the ways God has given us, some of the ways of escape God has given us. First of all, we ought to consider our ways, the scripture tells us. Uh, Bible tells us that we ought to search our hearts, we ought to consider our ways, we ought to recognize the presence of sin in the flesh. We should recognize, as Paul said in chapter 7, that evil is present with me that in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. That's why in, in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12, he, he begins by saying, let no man thinketh he standeth, uh, let, you know, let him take heed lest he fall. Why? Because there's a temptation of pride to think I can play with sin, I can deal with sin as much as I want, and I can get away with sin. First step to avoiding sin and temptation as a believer is to seriously consider our own hearts and to recognize our weakness before a holy God. Secondly, we need to fix our hearts uh, upon the Lord and upon the things of God. He said in Colossians 3, 1, that if ye then were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. For you have died, your life is hidden with Christ in God. You know, we need to understand that our, our attention in this world needs to be focused on the Lord. We need to seek him. I was talking with someone yesterday, or maybe it was on Friday, and the question came up about how, do you, how does a person uh, avoid so much of the temptations in this world? And, and, and we were talking about a, a, a particular, just the love of the things of this world. And I said, you know, the answer to that is the answer with almost any other sin that, that we need to first and foremost be seeking things which are above, growing in our relationship with Christ, seeking Christ, seeking the things of God not the things of this world set our affections on things above not on things below thirdly we ought to meditate on god's word we should be meditating upon the things of god's word we need to be be spending time the psalmist said thy word have i hid in my heart that i might not watch sin against thee god's given us the avenue of prayer where we can go before go before the lord and and bring our needs before the lord and, and cast our burdens before him. 1 Peter 4.7 talks about, about, about uh, being serious and being watchful in our prayers. Hebrews 4.16 talks about drawing near to the throne of God with confidence. So we, we, we need to, to, to consider our ways. We need to, to fit, set our heart upon God. We need to meditate on God's word. We need to spend time in prayer. We need obedience to the word of God we need to obey we need to put he says in verse 13 put to death the deeds of the body that's just a part of growing in grace is, is realizing that that i need to strengthen the inner man and here's things that maybe are fighting against my flesh and and and, and uh, are that's fighting against my spirit and and leading me astray I, there are things as god reveals to us in his word that that are not helpful for our christian growth we just need to set them aside philippians The Apostle Paul said, This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth to those things which are before. I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul's talking here about the blessing of the Spirit of God. He makes us a new creature, number one. Secondly, he gives us victory over sin and temptation. But then there's a third ministry that the Spirit of God plays in our life, and that is, is this. He confirms our salvation, or he confirms our adoption as the sons of God. Verse 14, Paul says says this, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of god and if children then heirs heirs of god join heirs with christ if indeed we suffer with him that we may be glorified with him the first confirmation that we are sons of god is that we are led by the spirit of god we're led by the spirit of god he says that's one of the ways he confirms that we are the sons of god uh, as many as are the sons of God, uh, are, as many as are led by the Spirit are, are the sons of God. God reveals himself to us in, by leading us. Now, there has been so much abuse when we talk about the leading of the Spirit of God. So many Christians have claimed things, that, and there's so much error that's taught under this great truth. God does not lead us by subjective impulses. Someone said, well, God just told me to do this. Okay, if you're going to say God told you to do something, you better have scripture and verse. Because God does not give new revelation today. Revelation is complete. God does, however, lead us, first of all, through his word, through the illumination of his word. The psalmist said, open mine eyes, that I may behold wonderful things from your law. God leads His people through the Word of God. as you get into the Word of God, as you understand the truth of God's word, you know what you understand what God wants you as a believer to do. Uh, there's, there are Christians, uh, oh, I don't know if they even Christians, but there are people uh, who oftentimes do horrific things and then claim, "Well, God led me to do this." God led me to go to McDonald's and you know shoot up a place. God led me. God told me to, you know, and we look at obviously extremes and people who, you know, ha- have hearing voices and various things. But there's a lot of Christians who talk in the very same way. Well, God just told me uh, that I should do this. And you, you begin to analyze what they're, what they're saying God told them to do, and it's not right. It's not biblical. God didn't tell you to do that. You just did that on your own impulses because it's something you wanted to do. Um, oftentimes people tend to, God tends to tell people what they want to do. I have found that to be oftentimes the case. Now, God, God tells us, but he tells, he communicates through his word. He opens his word to us. Secondly, uh, he does it through faith. As we trust God, as we depend upon God, Proverbs 3, uh, 5 and 6, verses that we know very well, or verses 4 and 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. and all your ways, what? Acknowledge him, and he will do what? He will direct your paths. How does he direct our paths? When we trust in the Lord, when we put our dependence upon the Lord, when we don't lean to our own understanding, when all of our ways we acknowledge him, then he shall direct our paths. He leads us through his word. He leads us through faith. He leads us through circumstances. Jeremiah 10.23 says it's not within man to direct his steps. But yet the Bible also says in the Psalms that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. You see a great example of that in Acts 16 in the Macedonian call. Paul is there and and, uh, he is with Silas and they are determining to, to, to go into Asia. And they make their plans to go into Asia and the Bible says that the Spirit of God forbade them. It did not allow them to go. How how did the Holy Spirit do that? We don't know. Whether the Holy Spirit just absolutely closed the door, they couldn't get into Asia. Whether they had no peace about it. Whether there was just some, obviously opportunity opened up into Europe. But that's when Paul received that in the vision, the man from Macedonia saying, come over and help us. And he realized God was been directing them into what was really the first gospel effort into Europe. But but God used circumstances. He closed doors. He opens doors. Another way God directs is through wise counsel. The Bible says, in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. We need to understand that God confirms our adoption as the son of, sons of God, as the children of God, first of all, by his leading in our lives, by leading us, directing us. Secondly, he does so, he, he confirms that adoption to us by, our, uh, by giving us the spirit of adoption. Does not give us the spirit of fear, he says. We, we do not have the spirit of fear but rather you have received the spirit of adoption when we cry out, Abba, Father. The term, the Arabic term, Abba, uh, is a term that denotes intimacy, family relationship. It's kind of like we would use an English daddy or papa or, or a term that, that is not a formal term. It's a family term. We as God's people have been given not the spirit of bondage or fear, But we have been given the spirit of adoption, the realization, the knowledge that we have been adopted into the body of Christ. We are children of God, not because of anything that we have done, but because his gracious mercy in adopting us into the family of God. There are a lot of religions today, there are a lot of people who live under the bondage of fear. So what, what, what does he mean by the bondage of fear? Let me give you, you know, a picture's worth a thousand words. I've seen this many times in, in real life, but this is a good example of the bondage of fear. You look at that picture, and you see these ladies, uh, probably young, young ladies or older or, or girls, you look at their eyes. I, you just can't help avoid seeing the fear. I've seen that over and over again in many parts of the world. Where being told that to be to please God, you must dress in this barbaric outfit so that only this, only there's a slit for your eyes. And and and, and don't you dare look at somebody, don't you dare look at a man or let a man look at you because that will lead to punishment and you may be taken back and be beaten or whipped because you looked at the wrong way or they someone else looked at you in the wrong way I've been in countries a lot of countries where uh, you see a lot of this heavy muslim population where people are are living in a spirit of fear in fact actually one of the number one testimony probably the most most consistent testimony coming from individuals who have come out of Islam is to get away from the fear because they have lived so much of their life in fear, in trepidation of of an angry, of a fearsome God who is going to slay them or bring horrible consequences if they do anything uh, that somehow displeases this image that they have of God. We don't have the spirit of fear we have the spirit of adoption whereby we cry Abba, Father, Daddy we're in God's family because we've been adopted into the body of Christ so the Holy Spirit works to confirm the fact that we are uh, we've been adopted uh, and he does so by giving us the spirit of adoption but also by giving us by by allowing us to be able to, to cry out Uh, abba father so we have been given the spirit of of adoption Uh, he has confirmed that by the by, by, uh, the fact that we have been led he confirms that by the fact that we have the spirit of adoption but he also gives us the complete is confirmed to us by the complete assurance given to us by his spirit that we are indeed the children of God God confirms to us, he says in verse 16, the spirit himself. In fact, that's an interesting phrase, the spirit himself. It is is a very strong statement. Not just the spirit, but the spirit himself. It's it's said in a way in the original language that confirms with the the definite uh, act here, that it's the spirit himself who bears witness with our spirit. That we are the children of God. There's an inner testimony. There's a confidence given to us by the Spirit of God that we are, are His child. And if we are His child, then we are heirs. Heirs of God. And then He says, joint heirs with Christ. That's amazing. Do you understand what your position is as a child of God? that you have been saved you've been delivered from the spirit of bondage you've been delivered from the law of sin and death and now you have been adopted into the body of Christ you have been you, you, you put in a position where the spirit of God can lead you day by day, you've been put in a position where now you can cry out Abba Father because you have a relationship with your heavenly father and you have this sweet assurance in your spirit and your heart that you are a child of God. When I first began pastoring, I remember there was a, a lady in the first church I pastored, elderly lady. I was very young. I was twenty three when I started pastoring, and I, uh, you know, we we're in this. In the, I, I was a younger. I was the youngest adult in the church, and uh, it, we had a lot of older older people in the church. And I went to visit this um, widow lady in the church. She was a, I knew she was a very godly lady. She had a wonderful testimony. And we're talking and visiting together. And I just, I wanted to hear her testimony. I wanted to, and I, I, I don't know how I asked it, but somehow I asked the question something like, well, how do you know the, then that you are a child of God? How do you know you're saved? And I remember her looking at me, and she didn't say Sonny, but she probably could have. Uh, she looked at me, and then just this big smile on her face. Says, "Cause I know it." <laughs> now, you know, if I'm trying to win someone to Christ who I question their salvation, that might not be a satisfactory answer for me. I want a little more biblical basis for that. But I understood what she meant. She went on to say, "You know, I talked to him this morning. You know, well, I, I talk to him every day. He's real." I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is saying here. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Have you ever just enjoyed, maybe it was in your devotional time, maybe it was just as you're out somewhere and going through life, I, I don't know, maybe it's sitting in your home or where you just think about the, the privilege you have to be a child of God that you're saved. And and you just you, you rejoice in your salvation and you're grateful for what he's done for you and and you know you just you think about God's blessing in your life. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if we are the children of God, then we are also heirs. It's a term, as we'll see next week, there's a term he's actually using the, the uh, terms from his day to describe the transition from a slave to actual one who was an heir because under Roman law a slave if a slave was adopted that slave became then a legal child even though they were not by birth a child but now because of adoption they were a legal child and if they were a legal child then they received all the inheritance that they as a child should receive and that's what he is saying, that we, are, we are, are heirs, we are heirs of God, we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And in this world, we, we may suffer with him. But the good news is we will be glorified with him. We have much to look forward to as a child of God. He talks about that in the following verses. All that we have are hope that's laid up before us. But it's all wrapped up in this fact that we are the children of God. We are heirs with Christ and joint heirs with Him. So though the Spirit is said to make intercession for us, we'll look at that in a couple weeks. There's a lot of other different ministries that the Holy Spirit plays in our lives, but but these are the three that Paul really really settles on and and nails. That the Spirit of God makes us a new creature. The Spirit of God gives us victory over sin and temptation as a child of god and the spirit of god confirms to us that we are indeed uh, the children of god that we have been adopted so the questions that i would leave with you as we think about that this morning is the fact has the spirit of god does the spirit of god bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of god Have you been made a new creature in Christ? Are you experiencing victory over sin and temptation? Are you availing yourselves of the way of escape that he has made for you? Do you see God's hand leading you, directing you through life? Are you his sheep? Is he your shepherd? Can you call upon him? Do you know and call upon him as your heavenly father, as your Abba father? God has given to us his spirit that we might have that joy and confidence that we are indeed the children of God. How sad that many people go through life, even believers go through life, without enjoying the joy of their inheritance. I've described it in the past this way. It's like two people get on an airplane. Uh, Both believe that airplane is going to get them to their destination. Otherwise, they would not get on the airplane. But there are some people who are who are scared to death of flying and they're going to sit there and they're going to they're going to put the window shade down they're going to close their eyes they're going to try to do everything they can they might take some kind of pill to put themselves out and knock themselves out so that they don't have to deal with the panic and the fear of flying and then there are people who just love flying they get on the plane they're I mean, this is wonderful. This is great. You know, I get a fly. It would take me hours to get here. I'm going to get there in an hour. And this is wonderful. The flight is good. They even like the food. I mean, that's crazy, I know. But, they, you know, they just love everything about it. Well, there's a lot of Christians who, I mean, they, they truly believe, trust the Lord, but they, they have not grasped, number one, the fact that they are no longer under con- condemnation. Two, They don't understand the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. They don't grasp the fact that they are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. They, as you'll see later, they don't understand the joy of that's laid up before them, and and they're worried about whether or not God's going to finish the job or not, whether it's all going to work out. The fact is, because they don't understand these things, they don't really radiate the joy of the Lord because they're too worried, they're too fearful. God wants us to be believers who manifest his glory and, and who radiate through our testimony that radiate through our lives the reality of who we are in Christ. And and what a joy you have as, as a child of God. We need to be living testimonies to the grace and power of God. Do you know Christ as your Savior this morning? Are you living by His grace? Are you radiating that, radiating that joy? to this world. Let's bow our heads.